Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. There is a ton in that passage which uh, Kavika just read. And undoubtedly, if you have any experience in church over your life, your life at some point has intersected with John chapter 14. So if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, you have heard John 14 too. I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house or many, many rooms. If you grew up in more of a Bible church uh, or any type of evangelical uh, conservative church, you have heard John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If, if you are a leader or a pastor of any type, you can relate to what Jesus says to Philip when Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus is like, have I not been with you this long? What? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why don't you get it after all of these years? Right? And so if you have grown up in um, maybe a charismatic church, uh, then you are familiar with uh, the works that Jesus does, we do. Or if you grew up in a, a Catholic church, there we go. If you grew up in a Catholic church, you hear the chimes and the bells, and uh, you, you, you are familiar with, uh, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Or if you have a background of uh, more of a prosperity, name it, claim it, then Verse 13 is your favorite, and that is, ask me for anything, and I'll do it. Or if you don't have a clue what any of those labels are, welcome. <laughs> because verse 12 is going to answer maybe what your question is, and that is, what are Christians, and what are they all about? Who are Christians? What makes a Christian? And so all of us here, um, I'm going to newsflash, skip over at least someone's favorite part today because we have all of this and I have some 30 minutes and the clock is ticking. I have 27 minutes, the clock is ticking. So we're not going to obviously cover everything. So what I want to focus on is verse 12 today where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. That's a big statement. I mean, that is a massive statement, breathtaking statement. The things that I do, you will do. Greater things. That is a big statement. So to unpack this, I want to tell you a story about the USS Sea Dragon. It is 1942. A submarine, the USS Sea Dragon, is 120 feet below the Pacific waters and in enemy territory off the coast of China. And one of its sailors, Daryl Dean Rector, spikes a temperature of 106 degrees from acute appendicitis. The nearest surgeon is a thousand miles away. 22-year-old, just think, anybody here ever been 22, or if you are 22, 22-year-old pharmacist mate, Wheeler Lips, decides there is no other way to save this man's life than to perform emergency surgery. And having never performed any type of surgery, he's just a pharmacist, he looks over to Rector and he says, I've watched doctors do it. I think I can do it. Do you want to do it? 
And you know it was bad because he's like, yes, let's do it. So Rector is a tall uh, young man and Lips and his uh, assistant take pajamas and they flip them inside out and use them uh, for their garments to try to keep the diseases away. They turn the inside of, they turn them inside out. They take operating room gowns and they mask their face with gauze. Now Rector was a tall man and he was too tall for the table, the makeshift table that was bolted to the ground. So they pulled over a cabinet, uh, a filing drawer, and they pulled out, they opened up the cabinet and put his feet in. The table is bolted to the ground, and don't just think nice, sterile place to do surgery. The makeshift table is bolted, so Lipes has to bend his knees down and over the course of two hours perform, perform surgery, which he's never done for this poor guy. The crew stands by the submarine. They try to keep this, the submarine as steady as possible with the controls. The cook comes in, and he boils water for sterilizing. So the pharmacist, Wheeler Lipes, and his assistant look around for makeshift instruments, and they find a tea strainer, and they use it as an antiseptic cone. They find spoons, and they bend them to pull back the organs and tissues, and of course they need Alcohol, and where do they get those from? The torpedoes for sterilization. And so after cutting through the layers of the sailor's muscles, Lipes notices the appendix isn't in its usual location. So now he has to take the next 20 minutes and thumb through this man's body until he finds the swollen appendix. And it's laced with blackened tissue. The appendix is removed and the surgery is finished. Thirteen days later, sailor Daryl Dean Rector was back at work aboard the USS Sea Dragon, living in light of a finished work. Much, much later, Lipes was actually considered about being court-martialed. Uh, some 50, 60 years later, it wasn't until about 2005, he's given the Naval Commendation Medal for his work in saving the man's life. Now, I want you to consider with me for a moment how amazing that story is. I want you to consider how amazing that story is given the fact that there are some quarter of a million, a quarter of a million appendectomies performed every year in the United States. They usually go off without a hitch in a nice, sterile, clean hospital environment. And now I want you to consider again verse 12. Let's read it. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Christians believe that Jesus is the one and true God. He is God's only unique Son. He is, in John 14, 6, the way, the truth, and the life. And if that is the case, that God has fully become man, He's put on flesh, He's come and lived among us, we should expect Him 
to be able to work upon someone who is lost to bring them back to life. See, Christianity isn't about, hey, here's some advice to live by. No, we believe that God comes and he has raised us from the dead spiritually, breathed life into us, and sent us out onto mission. And we should expect, if anyone can do that, it should be God, right? And that is indeed a great work. I don't want to minimize that. But for Jesus to do this through us, through people in this room, is an even greater work. I mean, think about who Jesus has to deal with this beyond ourselves. Just think about in this text who Jesus has to deal with. He's got Peter, Thomas, and Philip. He comes to Peter and he says, I'm going away. Here's a new commandment. Peter's first question, where are you going, Lord? I'm going to die for you. He thinks Jesus is going to bring about Armageddon. And Jesus turns around and says, hey, Peter doesn't know this yet, but what Judas is going to do for a prophet, you will do for free. You think you're going to die for me? You don't have a clue what I'm talking about here. And this is who Jesus has to work through. Think about Thomas. Look in verse 5. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Thomas has been with Jesus for three years, and he doesn't know who Jesus is. At that point, if I'm Jesus, I'm not going to the cross. I'm done. I'm done. And Jesus is saying, this is who I'm going to change the world through. Thomas says this. Philip, in verse 8, makes an absolutely stupid statement. Look in verse 8. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and that's enough for us. Mm, get that on my coffee mug. Mm. <laughs> show us the Father, and that's enough for us. You know what he wants? He wants to know God without a mediator. Just show us, and that's enough for us. Right? But this isn't simply his inner circle he's going to work through. Look in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, my disciples that have been with me for three years will also do the works that I've done. No, what's it say? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, not just whoever, whoever believes in me. So he's talking about anyone sitting in this room, in these chairs, right here, right now, today, who believes in him. He's not talking varsity. He's not talking apostles. He's talking whoever in this room, right here, right now. And even more so, this is even more practical because Jesus is talking about a time in which these guys are not yet. He's talking about a time in which their world will be where Jesus is not physically walking around because he's going to go where? To the Father. So he's talking really to, to us here. Stephen Misrall is preaching. Lance preaches. Hey, listen, let me tell you, if Jesus were physically here, like walking, you'd see, you would want him preaching here most of the time, okay? He says some things that like, uh, whatever, okay. So all Christians... For all times, this is who he's talking about. So what exactly does he mean when he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do? Because think about what Jesus has done 
in John. We've been in John for the last 12 years, I think. Right? So what? think about what Jesus has done through John. We're going to... Somebody is still laughing at me. We're going to be in John till like your kids graduate. So, uh, but think about what Jesus has done in John. He's, he's done what? He's turned water into wine. He's read the mind of the Samaritan woman at the well. He speaks a word. A man comes and says, my son is sick. And Jesus speaks a word and the boy is healed. He heals a man who is crippled for 38 years. He takes five loaves and two fish, and he feeds some fifteen to 20,000 people. He walks on water. He heals a man who was born blind, which that had never been done ever in history. Lazarus is dead for four days, and he raises him. And that's just a tip of the iceberg. Because the very last verse in John's Gospel, John says, if you, if you uh, ever flip there, if you want to read it later on today, he basically says this, Jesus did so much more than what I've written about here. I suppose that if everything he did was written down, there would not be enough space in the entire world to contain all the books. That's what Jesus has done. And he says, you'll do it too. Okay, Angela Prosser, where are you? In here? No, Angela Prosser. Okay, right here. Next week, we do commun- doing communion next week? Okay, sure, now we are. Okay, so we're doing communion next week. Don't prepare anything, okay? Just come up here, break some bread, and boom, voila. Right? Angela's like, I won't be here next week. Someone else will be here. Can we assign that to someone else? Right? So who wants to go first? Jesus is not saying that all believers, whoever, will do miracles like mine, and if you don't do them, then it's because you don't have enough faith. That's not what he's saying. Nor is that the way, and we know that because that's not the way the early church took it. Okay? Look in 1 Corinthians, you can throw this up here, flip to it, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 through 30. I'll wait for you. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29 through 30. Paul is talking about life in the body and the gifts that God has given to us, and he says this, Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The implied answer is no. No. So if Jesus has in mind every single Christian, which we've already established, will do these things, then he can't mean healing. Because right here in the early church, Paul is saying... No, not everyone heals. Not everyone teaches. Not everyone prophesies. So it stands to conclude that the works that Jesus has in mind, all his followers will do, are not teaching and miracles and healing and tongues. Will some of them do them? Yeah. Yeah, some of them will. But not all. And what Jesus is talking about here are works which all of his disciples will do. Whoever believes in me. So what are these works? What are these works? You need to think about what are the function of all of these works Jesus has done. So let's look, put our eyes back in the text again, verse 12. And I want you to grab two words, keep them in your hands, and then we're going to go up another verse. So verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes 
in me will also do the works that I do. Now, I want you to grab that word believe, and I want you to grab the word works, okay? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, I want you to go up to verse 11, okay? Hold those two and see if you see them there. Again, I want to draw a connection between believe and works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father, Okay, so Jesus is making a statement about His words. Believe the words I'm telling you, I am in the Father. And if you can't believe on account of my words, then do what? Look at the next part of verse 11. And the Father is in me, or else believe on account of what? The works themselves. So I take it then from verse 11 that the words of Jesus are meant to provoke and bring about belief in Jesus. They're an arrow. When Jesus speaks, it goes out and it comes right back to put your gaze on him, to put your focus on him. When he does the works, what's he say? If you can't believe because of my words, then look at my works and, then, and do what? Man, that's really awesome that you can walk on water. Oh, that's really cool. Hey, why don't you feed some more people? No, it's look at the works and do the same thing the words do. Come back and put the focus on Jesus. Jesus' words and works are Christ-centered. So the words of Jesus are designed to bring about belief in Him. His works are tailor-made to bring about trust in Him. Man, we're singing, great is thy faithfulness, and I'm about to lose it over here. I am about to lose it because I've seen the works of God. And how uh, springtime and summer, winter, I have seen them through every season of my life. And all you can say is, wow, you're amazing. Sometimes words are meant to do that. His works are meant to. So what Jesus is saying is whoever believes in him will, as Jesus did, also do works which bring neighbors, networks, and nations to believe in Him. His words and His works are arrows directing people to Himself. See this phrase in verse 12, the works that I do. Look in verse 12. We'll also do the works that I do. That is copied and pasted from chapter 10, verse 25. Can we throw that up there? Chapter 10, verse 25. You can just flip back a couple pages if you want. Chapter 10, verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, what? Bear witness about me. Jesus isn't saying all of his followers will have the gift of healing, miracles, or even evangelism. What he's saying is clear. If you say you believe in Jesus then your life will be radically oriented around Jesus. Your life will be radically centered on Jesus. Your life will be so radically centered around and on Jesus that it will then turn and provoke belief from others to Jesus. None of the miracles we've seen Jesus do thus far in John's gospel terminate on themselves. None of them. They all point to Jesus. So let me ask you, hey, what's your life about? 
What, what's your life about? I'm not asking if you've got a nice, cool Pinterest wall decorated with crosses and Christianese. I'm asking, what is your life about? I'm not asking about church attendance. I'm asking, what is your life about? Not just what is your life about, who is your life about? I'm not asking if you believe and can affirm a set of historical facts. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Yep, check, check, check. And your life looks nothing like that. I'm asking what and who is your life about because it's completely possible to believe in Jesus when really he's a nice add-on to make your life better. And really, if you get under the surface, it's not Jesus you believe in, it's yourself. And you end up replicating yourself towards others. Look how great my house is. Look how organized I am. Look how well behaved my kids are. Or even, hey, my kids, they're not organized. Look how much of a hot mess we are. We're just being cool and authentic. So now be like us, right? We can go either way. There's a ditch either way, right? Jesus equates belief with making your life about him such that others do the same. But he doesn't just say all believers will do the works he does. He steps it up another notch in the rest of verse 12. He also says whoever believes in him, what? Greater works than these will he do. So what makes the works greater? Not better, Greater. So better is quality. Greater is uh, more of a comparison language. Jesus tells us that what makes the works greater is what? Look at, look at the phrase. Greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I am going to the Father. And what he means by going to the Father is all that's about to take place from John 15 all the way to the end. He is going to be betrayed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be risen from the dead. He is going to appear to many people. He is going to be vindicated. He is going to ascend. And He is going to rule and reign. That's all that is in that statement because I am going to the Father. His ascension, His exaltation, His, what we're going to see in John 15, sending of the Spirit. Remember Lance's sermon from last week? Really good, served us well. John 13, verse 33. Where I'm going, you cannot come. That's where all of John 14 comes from, is that statement. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as, there's comparison. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, that is, by these, this work right here. All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And this is why Peter, Thomas, Philip, later on in this chapter, Judas, not Iscariot, Judas, has no clue what Jesus is talking about. No clue. They can't comprehend what he's telling them because it's so great, they don't have a category for it. They don't have a category for what you and I sitting in this room know and sing about every single week because it hasn't happened yet. 
If we're sitting there in the upper room with them, everything you and I take for granted, they don't have a clue what's about to take place. Up to this point in history, no one has ever been loved because of the works of a crucified and risen Christ. They have what we quoted with our kids here, Psalm 107. Give thanks to the Lord for His wonderful works. What does He do? He feeds and satisfies. That's the categories that they have. His wonderful works. Look how He's taking care of us through feeding and satisfying our souls. And that's what they've got. So when Jesus loves sinners by turning water into wine, telling them of living water that satisfies, speaking a word and healing a young boy, healing a man who has been uh, debilitated for 38 years, taking five loaves and two fish and feeding the thousands, walking on water, healing a man born blind, all the things he did over and over and over again, raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus did all of these things in anticipation of the cross and resurrection. With ex expecting them. It was not yet. And this is why when you read John's gospel over and over and over again, you see this pesky little phrase, the hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. It's like you're reading John's gospel with an hourglass. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And then you get to chapter 13, and he says, Now my soul is troubled. The hour has come. Jesus has been expecting this all along to happen. Jesus says, Those who believe in him will do greater things than these. Because when he's finished what he's doing, when he accomplishes what he has set out to do, when that hour comes, we're going to love one another not out of anticipation, but because of an already crucified Christ. Because of an already risen Christ. Because of an already reigning and ruling Christ. Because of an indwelling Holy Spirit that has never happened before. So we don't simply love as a church out of anticipation. We don't simply love one another out of an anticipated event. We live and we love out of an already finished work. And what's absolutely breathtaking is that he's going to demonstrate this already finished work through us. And he's going to say in John 15, like a vine through the branches. That's how he's going to work. And this changes everything. This changes absolutely everything. Look in verse 13. Jesus says, this is for my name it and claim it, folks who love this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me, Anything in my name, I will do it. Yes. I can't wait to pay off my house. <laughs> yes, that's what's here. No, he's, look, he hasn't come. Uh, we've already established all this. All the arrows come back to him. So, so if, if it's Jesus is now a genie, rub the lamp and pff, three wishes and I make the wishes, and I pray, and that hasn't happened. Well, you said you would do whatever I ask. Jesus is saying, whatever you ask, 
to demonstrate these great works, to live your life that will so reflect my great, my faithfulness that I'm trustworthy, I will do it so that others will see it. Whatever it is you ask, I will, I will answer those types of prayers. And you might not even have a category for what that will look like. You might, man, I, 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 uh, I was going through a box the other day and I've been praying for my grandmother for um, 20 years. I got a prayer list of uh, when I was in high school, I wrote out things I'd like to see answered. And, I, and it was cool to see like, oh, yeah, the Lord saved this person. Uh, the Lord answered this prayer. What I saw in there, uh, the Lord saved my grandmother. Hadn't happened yet. 20 years. 20 years. But you know what happens inside of me when I pray that? I don't just see her as, um, you know, like I have three kids and Kelly and I were talking about this. It's like, hey, it's nice to be recognized by your kids beyond someone who's just like a gift giver. <laughs> mom, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want. Hey, mom, look, 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 I want, I need, right? Because they just want to consume. They just want to consume. They just want to take. They just want to take. But when we pray and we say, Lord, just as you have come and served us, let me love my family in such a way that I point them to you. That when I'm around them, I'm not just thinking, I wonder what I can get out of them. Uh, uh, or, hmm, when your time's uh, done, what am I going to inherit? I think this is what Jesus has in mind. Everything you need for your life to be about make, making much of Jesus is right here in prayer. Everything. You need to invite all people to follow Jesus in all of life is right here in prayer. What this text does not mean is that Jesus is here to fulfill our wishes. What it means is that everything we as a church, the people in this room, need to live out our values, our core identity as a family of missionary servants is right here. Does he not say, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Lance is over here like, man, we need like seven more neighborhood groups. Pray it. Pray it. Right? We, man, we need more leaders. We, we need this. We need this. And here's where we need to be careful. Why are we asking for that? We want a bigger building? Or is it to make much of Jesus? That's where we need to be careful. Because if we're not, I'm telling you, I've grown up in church. I've, I've, I've done the whole study, how things work. At some point, it gets to just be a switch, and you flip it on, and it's programs. And it's not thinking about how do we, as a, multi, as a family, send out. It's just you, you begin to run this, and it's like, hey, we don't really need the vine. We're doing just fine as a branch. And Jesus says, everything you need to see yourself do works like I've done, even greater works, is right here in prayer. And does it not sometimes feel like we are in the USS Sea Dragon? Like anybody who's ever led a neighborhood group is like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Okay, here, antiseptic. Uh, we need, uh, oh, look, that bomb will work. Here, let's get some alcohol from there. Uh, spoon, we need this. Yeah, okay, let's, okay. Now somehow we're going to pull off this neighborhood group and we're going to make this thing happen. By the way, no one knows what they're doing. But you know what two things that we know that we're aiming for? We want our lives to be radically oriented around Jesus.
So if you're wondering, like, who are all these Christians? I see a lot of this stuff from John 14. What are Christians about? Radically orienting our lives around Jesus. So whatever he asks of us, we'll gladly do from the strength that he provides. And loving one another, not just like a sentimentality coexist love, but out of a self-sacrificing love that Christ has already done on the cross. And he still does. Think about this. I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many rooms. The only time that phrase Father's house is used is always, it's not used in reference to heaven. It's in reference to the temple. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, everything you need to experience the presence of God is here in me. And in fact, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. If you're Israel and you hear that, what do you think? The promised land, right? God's going to prepare a promised land for us to go to. And Jesus is saying, all of that takes place in me. And is he not? Is he not? And this is where we get so wrong with John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We'll go and have arguments with our unbelieving friends. But you know what gives that such great flavor? Jesus is always and still is the servant. He's already king. He's already been crucified. He's already risen. risen. He's already sent the Spirit. And what's he still doing? I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus, still, always, the servant. Let's pray. Father, great is your faithfulness unto us. We uh, pray, Lord, that you would help us to believe. Father, your son tells us here, uh, let not our hearts be troubled. Thank you, Lord, that his was troubled because he knew of the wrath that he was going to bear for us. He knew of the shame that he would take for us. He knew of the curse that he would bear for us. And so, Lord, we pray that we would believe, not simply intellectually, but, Lord, that we would believe in such a way that it's like eating and it's like feasting and seeing and drinking Christ, Father. So we pray that we would do these things. Your Word tells us that You will, in fact, do it. So we have expectation, Lord, that we... Believe and you will do these things through us. Father, keep us focused. Keep us centered on these things as a church. It's in Christ's name. Amen.